Cotton Club crew. This is episode seven. We're back with the main show. I'm here with Joe and Reed. Jack and Kendall will be joining us later this week, but are not here tonight. This episode's basically going to be about what's going on in the Diamond. I do want to mention we're recording this at 7.51 Central. Tyler Perry of UNT is announcing soon. It's 8.30 Central. And he's on the Field of 68 podcast live show where he's going to make that announcement. So depending on our recording length and how that interview is kind of structured, we'll determine whether or not as we're recording we have that news to discuss as well. Um, the only other thing I wanted to touch on besides baseball is this is just kind of a, a note that I think is pretty neat. It's something that's picking up steam more recently. Micah Hudson, five-star receiver out of Temple, Texas. Big-time prospect. Five-star guy out of Temple is one. I don't know how common that is in general. But number two, what's really not common is the fact that Tech is probably the leader in the doghouse for his services. Uh, he's picking up crystal ball projections towards tech now i want to be clear here a prospect of this caliber the amount of money that's involved the relationship building the sales pitches i mean this is going to go all the way until ink on paper don't think for a second that this is a done deal and don't think for a second that something can't change even after his commitment there's going to be a lot of people after this guy i mean his offer list is well, just do, I'll read off the top of his offer list and which tech is not even I'm, i pulled up his 247 page to give you an idea of the kind of competition we're up against the guys that 247 shows just loading it before you click you know that view complete team list alabama georgia ohio state texas and texas a&m it is insane that tech is amongst is seriously in contention this isn't like a situation which oh well they offered and got in there early no tech is seriously in contention all the buzz is coming out lately from micah's camp about how much he loved Joey McGuire and all the, the all, how impressed he was and you know all of that jazz and obviously you have to imagine that the money men behind the scenes are writing some pretty obscene checks getting ready for this this would be I think and I'm extremely confident saying I don't know if Tech has had a consensus two four uh, composite five star before so I believe that would one be the first five star true composite five star and number two even if it's not the first true five star this is the what I believe I'm almost 100% confident, like at least 30 spots higher than the next highest ever tech recruit. He's currently ranked in the top 15 nationally. He's the number two at his position in the state of Texas, looking at the composite, number five nationally in the composite, number two prospect overall in the Texas, according to the composite ranking. So it's a big deal that tech is even in this conversation. Something to be aware of and monitor for everybody. Um, if this commitment goes down, it will be a significant moment for the program. And it's a big deal that you're in the conversation at all. Now. Let's get on with the rest of the show. I just wanted to lead off with some of that news, and we'll break into the UNT guards decision if it happens. So let's talk baseball. It's a it's that time of year in which the field for the baseball regional is starting to really take shape. RPI is starting to lock up. Um, Texas Tech is not in a position it's that familiar with. It's not having... So Tech has been under, historically not good, but under Tim Tadlock has been a perennial power. But this season, we've had some issues. So to give you an idea of what the issues are, let me just tell you two stats that should paint the entire picture. At home, Texas Tech is an impressive 25-5 and on the year. They are 4-8 and away. And they are 1-2 and in neutral site. So if you're not seeing the immediate problem here, let me make it even more plain. Tech has a problem winning on the road, and that problem is put them 
at least not maybe in the bubble, but on the bubble conversation list of teams that like you start to wonder about if they don't take care of business. Essentially, what I'm trying to say is, is that for the first time in what feels like a very long time, Tech isn't discussing hosting. Tech is discussing making the regional. Next up is Sam Houston State. Our, <clears throat> excuse me, that's on Monday starting at 6.30 is the current scheduled first pitch. Obviously, weather's been crazy lately, so we'll see what happens. They're coming off the series loss to Kansas State. Shocker on the road. We're going to talk about that series first and then look ahead. Game 1, 2, and 3 are pretty different pictures. Game 1, you lose a pitcher's duel. Game 2, you win a pitcher's duel of sorts, in which your staff did a good job. Kansas State staff was serviceable, just not a lot of offense. And Game 3, the pitching... For all intents and purposes. I mean, neither team pitched well, but Tech in particular, not good. So, let's talk about the crux of it all, which is the pitching that's cost Tech yet another series, another big win. This was an opportunity to pick up a huge win, a much-needed win. Reed, I'm going to go to you first with this one. Pitching staff has just not really held up this season in, in close games in particular, it's been very nerve-wracking down the stretch to know that you don't really have a guy in these game threes that you can really count on and that you don't really have a true closer that you can really, really depend on to close out a game. Um, at what point do we start to ask ourselves if there needs to be some sort of change made in the program itself now that we've had several years here? Are we to the point in which it's fair to question what our pitching staff is doing? Or is this just an event of, once again, in which injuries and some other nonsense have held up a team? You know, How much more leeway are we giving the Matt Gardner and the rest of the staff to figure out this pitching situation that has been the Achilles heel for Texas Tech for years? Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> there's obviously some issues with the staff, and there there has been off and on for for numerous uh, amounts of years. And uh, we mentioned in here before we've always we've had good arms, hadn't really been necessarily been a lack of um, individual talent. It's been a lack of um, of the depth that we've had, and obviously the injuries have have piled up on us for you know whatever whatever reason we. Had luck with that, especially it seems like probably uh, last three or four years in particular. Um, I can remember like going back with with Gingry having that, that major injury uh, where he was out for forever, and then you know some other big arms the last few years, and never even got to throw a pitch in, during the season. So um, <clears throat> definitely that's that's played into it. But uh, like you said, at some point we got to kind of look at the bigger picture and see if there's something. Uh, organizationally, structurally, that needs to be done, um, whether that's making a change at you know, the coaching staff or um, finding a different way you know, to approach the recruiting trail with who you're looking at getting or, um, you know, anything w with that nature. But um, we obviously don't have a problem finding batters. I mean, we've, we've been able to score runs for the entire Tadlock era. Um, we've always been able to hit the ball, especially at home, like you kind of mentioned. But um, something definitely needs to be done. With with the with the pitching organizationally, I don't know if that necessarily means making a switch or not. I don't. I'm, to be honest, I don't really know how long um, um, Gardner's been there. Just off the top of my head, but uh, it seems like he's been there long enough to, you know, kind of get his feet under him and recruit the guys he needs in order to to put together his staff. And if I'm being honest, we really haven't had an, a staff that matches the lineup. Um, 
you kind of hand in hand yet. And I think if we, we would have had that at any point, we probably would have had a World Series by now. So uh, not to throw all of that on, on the pitching staff, but I definitely think we get carried pretty heavily by our, our, uh, our offense. Let me read some of the figures from these games because it's going to be a pretty telling story. The box scores for these games, I mean, it, baseball is one of the, is a great sport, you know, because they say on occasion, like, the scoreboard doesn't tell the picture in basketball or football because of bullshit variance that exists in those sports. It's pretty easy to read baseball stats. So let's look at game one. You, you lose a very hotly contested game. You went up against a very good pitching staff, and you, you I'm going to be honest here, you performed really, really well. You just didn't quite get it done. Um, you fall in this game late, which you know, kind of shocker. But really, I'm not. I'm not throwing the blame on anyone in particular, um, because let's, let's look at this. Three pitchers are used. Mason Molina would go six innings, surrendered six hits, one run with one error. Ryan Free had a bad night, which is unusual for him. He's been very, very good, but he only made it an inning, gave up the two runs that ended up costing Tech the victory. Easton Combs would come in and close the game out with one inning pitched, would not surrender a hit or a run. Um, so you lose that game 3-2. to two. That's a pretty, you know, offensively kind of let you down there. You went, up against, excuse me, you went up against a very good staff, got held up. Let's see if you can see the sliding scale here. So, another pretty decent pitching, another actually fantastic pitching performance in Game 2. Trended Parrish would run five innings, give up four hits, two runs. Brandon Beckel and Kyle Robinson would both pitch two innings. Robinson would give up two hits. Becker would give up none. No runs for either guy. So right there, you're seeing, you're seeing right that's six pitchers in two games. That's what you want. I think three to four pitchers a game is what every college staff is looking to do. That's 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 quality. But that's not exactly going that deep into your pen, right? We should have plenty of guys for game three. Let's look at the game three box score and see if you can guess what went wrong. So I'm just going to start off with this. Zane Petty would only make it three innings. He'd surrender three runs. Coombs would come in next. He would go not an inning, would give up a run. Derek Bridges would come in. He'd pitch two innings, two runs. Bo Blessy would see his first action in a long time. He'd give up a walk, was done pretty early. Ryan Free would come back in. Similarly, would be give up a walk, be done very quickly. Didn't Neither one of those guys, I think, faced more than a batter. Josh Sanders would come into the game. He'd pitch 1.1. He'd give up two hits and a run. Brendan Gurton wouldn't make it at any. Would give up three earned runs. Brendan Lysick would make it and would close the game, and would give up one walk during his time. Now that's a clown car of pitchers. That's what are we talking here? Eight guys. And for the record, Kansas State would surrendered eight runs to Texas Tech in this game. Eight. So it's not like they had a good night. Would use three pitchers to do it. Would use three because Tech would not score in the eighth or ninth inning after uh, neighbors came in who only gave up the one run. He would close out the game, close Tech out's chances to win. So you can see here the problem. You didn't go deep into your pen in games one and two, but the drop off in game three is so substantial right now. It speaks to how short staffed. You are now. Bless you getting any runtime at all. Maybe he comes back. I don't know the full extent of what they're going to do with him. That would be a massive help. He's an outstanding pitcher. But Parrish and Molina look like they've kind of established themselves firmly as your one and two starters. Molina's had a couple starts here or there, not been great, but he's largely been very good. Parrish has been, as far as I can tell, I think he just keeps getting better. I've really been impressed with Trenton Parrish's development. 
But here's the problem. Ryan Free and Brandon Beckel look like your two best guys out of the bullpen along with Combs. So you got those three guys there. But there is nobody else right now that you feel that good about running significant time. Um, Gurton was a particular disappointment in Game 3. He's a guy you're kind of counting on. Bridges is another guy you're kind of counting on. Um, And here's really, there's a couple ways to look at this. One is the free passes. And this is where I think we speak to some of the issues with the staff. I hate how we call games from a staff perspective. Looks like we're trying way too hard to nibble around the edges of the plate and not just attack guys, which puts guys behind the count, which leads to free passes and easy contact when you're forced to just throw up soft serve. And number two, here's the biggest problem. We have been too good for too long to only have about five guys in the pen that should realistically be counted on in a Division One baseball game. Right, like that's that's outrageous to me that a top twenty-five program for the better part now of almost what are we over? How we're trending closer to a decade of Tim Tadlock being really, really good, and we can't seem to find enough pitching to to just be okay in the pen. Right, like this stuff is bad. We have been bad the last few years and late in games and closing them out. And the damnedest thing of it all is that the offense showed up for the first time all weekend in that final game against uh, the weaker part of Kansas State's pen and did its job. You should win baseball games scoring eight runs, especially on the road, which is a tough thing to do. So I don't know how much you blame Matt Gardner or not personally, but I think that some of the issue that we have right now is Tim Tadluck's lifetime contract means we have very, very little leverage to put on him to force him to make a change, and he does not want to get rid of his buddy. But we have been too bad for too long in the pitching department to keep sitting here and think we're going to do the same thing. Now, Joe, I'm going to go to you, and we're going to switch it up a little bit and try to talk positive. Because the pitching's obviously the negative. It's been the negative for all year. It's cost us constantly. But let's focus on the positive and look at the offense. We finally saw some offense on the road. We saw it some against Oklahoma. We saw it again against game two and three against Kansas State. What what guys are really standing out to you from an offensive perspective that are helping this team kind of find their stride hitting the ball on the road? Well, you know, early on, you know, it was the easy picks and things like that were the Gage Harrelson, the Gavin Cash, um, Kevin Bazell has made some big, big hits as well. Dylan Carter, obviously coming back off of that injury. He's just projected or at least you would assume that he's just going to go on and get back to the way he was playing prior to the injury or at least that's a hope for for me and I would hope you know the rest of you know Raiderland would think the same way Um, one who really stood out um, this series was Tracer Lopez especially in that second game there where he pretty much um, carried the team to that victory you know with the home run the double he had some very, very good at bat, clutch hitting, and it's it's great to see. You know, he's he's kind of been on on a bigger roller coaster across across the season. You know, hitting in that eight nine spot at the very bottom of the lineup, and you know you it's always great to have production there, and that's at any level, high school, college, major leagues, any level there. If you're getting production out of that nine hole hitter it usually means that some good things are happening for your program. So as far as, as far as, you know, bright spots, you know, obviously um, it's easy to go towards those other guys, but they didn't, you know, they really showed that they were human. These, 
these go arounds. I mean, Gavin Cash really necessarily didn't do anything that stood out. You know, um, Gage didn't do anything that stood out. You know, everybody just played. You know, average baseball. Um, I'm just going to give it all to to Tracer as far as on the hitting side of it, on the offensive side of it. Um, he he really showed you know the potential. I mean, let's let's call it for what it's worth. You know, he should be in high school getting ready to walk from graduation right now, getting ready for prom, and he's out here playing Division One college baseball, and he's you know he's done very very well this year. I will say this about, you know, the woes that this team has had the last several years. And one of the problems has been in the big games, you know, your offense hasn't produced enough. When your pitching staffs have been there, it's the lack of consistency. In the regional last year is the perfect example of this. Your pitching staff was pretty bad all year outside of the starters. And then you get to the regional, and quite frankly, that was one of the best damn performances I've seen from a tech pitching staff in a very long time. They were incredible. Just absolutely shut people down, and you couldn't get a hit. You know, you went up against a, a tough Kansas State pitching staff, and five runs is pretty good against a Saturday starter. Eight runs is phenomenal on the road, e even though, yes, Kansas State, like most, nobody really has three complete staffs outside maybe the top five in baseball. Um, but, you know, the, you did your job offensively, so that, that does heart me a good amount. Um, you know, I think that you're going to be on the road for this regional. You just are. We all are aware that you're not going to host. So you have to be able to produce offensively on the road. So I do like that we're seeing some of that this year, which we really didn't see at all last year. The problems with the road games have been the pitching. They just haven't been good. I mean, and, and it's, it's something to be worried about. But if you play in a ballpark that doesn't play particularly offensively friendly, it kind of evens out. I mean, we just don't – we'll see how the regionals break in the end. But it is, it is at least a positive that the problems you're seeing – this year are kind of relegated to the pitching staff. Um, now there have been examples which the the hitting hasn't been there. The series in Austin, you know, the staff was fine in most of those games until those closing innings. But um, you've largely been able to produce offensively fairly consistently this year, even on the road. It's just finding another pitcher who can throw strikes. And, you know, like I said, Matt Gardner's got to call better pitches, number one, and we've got to develop better. We keep saying, like, this is a young bullpen or one guy goes down, and there's just – we just don't see the development year to year, and we're starting to see significant diminishing returns in our program. You know, we went two years ago, bounced in the Super, then we're bounced in the Regional, and this year we're not even in the hosting conversation or really in the Big 12 title hunt anymore. Um, so it we, we need to see a change. But if you're looking for positives, I think – the offensive production has been a lot better from you know uh, uh, a road perspective than it's been the past. It hasn't been great, but you're seeing improvement, and you're seeing a bit more consistent um, effort at the plate from a lot of guys. And like you said, right, like you know, this was not just like the Gavin Cash show, which at times it has been this year. You know, Tracer Lopez has really come into his own. Um, you know, Dylan Carter still shaking off the rust. Austin Green had a pretty good, damn good game. Had a pretty good ga day. Excuse me. Um, you know, Vulatic, Hester. You, you're getting production up and down the lineup. You just, you just need a little bit more from your staff. And guys, I think Jack talked about this. You want to see guys like Andrew Devine do better. You really want to see guys like Brandon Gurton do better. Brandon Gurton's a guy you really want to count on. Um, 
Derek Bridge is another guy you really want to be able to count on. Ryan Free, he's been good, you know, out of the pen. And um, Ethan Coombs has been really good out of the pen. But you just you need one or two more guys because you can't win in baseball running five deep. You just can't. You just it it has been the crux of this program for years. You just can't do it. Now let's talk about a different angle of this, which is I think a little bit more intriguing. You have Sam Houston up next, then you go to play a bottom-feeding Kansas team. Um, so theoretically, theoretically, and knock on all the wood in the world, it's an even odds that you win five or six games out of these next two series. You're not really in the hosting per- position, but you do have ranked West Virginia to close out the year. Now, I want to talk a bit about, or excuse me, you have ranked West Virginia, then Kansas. So you're going to get... You hopefully can beat Sam Houston State three times, and you hope to beat Kansas three times. you got West Virginia. That's the big series. You're in Morgantown. Let's talk about the Mountaineers um, before we talk a bit about Sam Houston, just because I think that series is really, really interesting. We'll have a lot more on it. But we're kind of in a weird spot in the Big 12 race, so let's talk about it. Joe, I'm going to go to you. Talk to me about West Virginia. What's allowed them to kind of surprise, and now they are the Big 12's last-ranked team standing? It's consistency. Um, they've been consistent, you know. Um, as I was saying on our Sunday show, that you know, good teams go and win games that they should win. You know, just like whenever we hosted Baylor a couple weeks back or a week ago, I don't remember exactly when it was. You know, that's a must-win series. Those are three winnable games against a bottom-feeding Big Twelve team, and you just have to find a way to get it done. We only got the two out of the three. They actually traveled to Waco and beat Baylor one, two, and three. And that's what good teams do. They find ways to win those games on the road. Baylor's, you know, given their record, I mean, yeah, they're they're pretty terrible on paper and on the record side of it goes. But, you know, they've played some really good teams and they've hung around and they've won some of those games in Waco. So for West Virginia to actually go out there and do what they're supposed to do. I mean, that's kind of just, you know, getting hot at the right the right time. They're on an eight-game win streak, and they have they have all the makings to make a run. Hell, they may even host a regional. That's not, you know, three weeks ago. That would that's I would feel stupid for even trying to make a claim like that. And and now three weeks later, they're sitting here, they're sitting here in a prime position to win the Big Twelve regular season title to make a a big big noise in the Big 12 tournament itself and and potentially put themselves in a position for them to host a regional and to me that's you know they've been they've been consistent that's you know the name of the game is is stay consistent stay your course play the ball you're supposed to be playing win the games you're supposed to win and the rest will take care of itself you know they haven't had to worry about what TCU or what Oklahoma State's doing, they have their eyes truly focused on the next opponent, the next opponent. And they've been going one game at a time, one game at a time. And look where they've gone. I mean, they've had consistent pitching. They're hitting the ball, putting runs up. And, you know, you know, much much credit to them and their coaching staff and their players there for for believing. I don't know what they were exactly projected at at the start of the season for the Big 12, but I can't assume it was very high given, you know, just all the names that are in the Big 12. And, you know, they're they're 
they're proving their worth right now. And, you know, like I said, it's it's up in the air for them. All they have to do is be consistent, and I see them taking the Big 12 at this point in time. It is kind of funny that this year teams like Kansas State and West Virginia are like really, really showed up. You know, they've just been – Kansas State has been almost – I, I can't think of a word, you know, just pathetic in baseball. And suddenly we're really seeing them show up. West Virginia has not been, I don't think they've been quite as bad, but they haven't been good by any stretch. Is suddenly now the toast of the league. And they're the highest ranked RPI team um, left on tech schedule by a wide margin. And they are the highest Big 12 team by, I'm trying to find the next one, 24 spots. No, excuse me, 14 spots. Texas has them. Um, at number 30, they're at number 16. For reference, if you're wondering why is Tech so firmly on the bubble, Tech is sitting at 61. Sam Houston's down at 107, Kansas 113. So West Virginia is your last chance to really make a statement in in terms of an RPI perspective. Um, I know some people talk about the D1 baseball rankings. Tech fell out of the rankings for D1. If you're wondering which rankings are definitive, the NCAA considers the D1 baseball rankings effectively definitive. there are other rankings that weigh in, but that that's the one that has – if there's one that has any weight, it's that one. So would Tech host as a top 25 team if they snuck back in with a really strong finish to the year? No. I, I just – your RPI is just not there. You could – I haven't looked at the Big 12 turn uh, a title math, but I don't think there's a scenario Tech wins without substantial help. So even if you won the Big 12 at this stage, I don't think you can host. Um, but if you want to make a statement, winning the series in Morgantown would be a huge one to make. That would guarantee you access to the postseason pretty much without fail, um, especially if you take care of business against both Sam Houston and Kansas, which I, we all just truly pray you do. Um, so you would have this one statement series of West Virginia, and that would help you know, shape the committee, maybe get you out of a tougher regional as a, uh, a th- two or three seed. But... Let's talk about an angle that I have. We, we we will need to consider, depending how this year goes out, which is the Big 12 tournament. Um, the Big 12 tournament is a place Tech has historically not performed well in under Tadlock. I think part of that's always been that you know you really haven't needed it, but you may need it this year. So Reed, let's let's talk about your expectation to close the year, including the tournament. Say Tech does about what's expected, which would be win, let's say five out of six between Kansas and Sam Houston. I think that's a fair expectation. Hopefully, you'd win six out of six, but pitching hasn't been there. So let's say five out of six of those. It's reasonably likely at this time that you lose the series to West Virginia. It's on the road in Morgantown. Let's just assume for the sake of argument that you go one and two or get swept in that series. You're on the bubble-ish. you got a weaker RPI. How much do you think Tech will need the Big 12 tournament this year? And what do you attribute some of the woes that they've had in that tournament historically? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely going to weigh more uh, this year than maybe ever in the Tadlock era. Because uh, like you said, most of the time we've kind of had our position uh, pretty locked in stone for the most part uh, with with whether we're, you know, looking to host as, as a national seed or um, kind of have a good idea what seed we're going to be within a regional recently. Uh, this year, we're, we're, we could be anywhere, honestly. I mean, honestly, I, I don't think we're, we're going to host even if we were to win out probably. But because um, like you said, they're just not good enough to do something. Um, 
really to do with at this point to try and host. But uh, you might be able to play yourself into, I would say, an easier regional, um, one that might be able to find a find a better route to get out of uh, with whatever the number one seed is that would be hosting. Um, you know, there's some of those those smaller mid majors that host are more susceptible, I would say, to uh, to losing. Some some regionals, but I mean, at the same time, some of the, some of the big dogs are too. That's, that's happened recently. So, um, but to kind of go back to your point, really, I don't, I don't know if Tadlock is just not prioritized the, the tournament or if we just don't play well in, in the tournament to begin with. Um, if I'm being honest, it's, it's a cool, it's a cool venue. It's a cool tournament. I just, every time I watch it, I feel like it's not a very, uh, not a very hyped up vibe by any means. It's never super crowded. It's never um, like sellout crowds or anything of that nature. So uh, it's kind of a place you kind of need to build your own energy. It seems like as a as a team and uh, as as a players, I uh, wouldn't expect a ton of a fan base to be at something like that. Just because it's when I've like again like when I watch, it doesn't seem like that's really how it is. So, um, but I would personally, if if we end up doing kind of what you said we did hypothetically i'd like to go in there at least win one to two games um within within a winner's bracket to kind of feel comfortable about having a, a decent spot in the in the in the postseason moving forward because i don't want to just go in there and throw a dud in the first round it's not going to be a very good last look um from from selection committees to really kind of give them uh, an insight as to what we're able to do in the postseason because uh, I mean, obviously, this this West Virginia uh, series is a big opportunity, but we haven't really performed well at all on the weekend, so it could go south quick. Uh, hopefully not, but at the same time, if you could win two of those, I don't think you'd have to worry about the Big 12 tournament as much either. So uh, it'll depend on how they finish the last two weeks. Um, obviously, you need to beat Kansas and Sam Houston State um, somewhat handily, I would say, pretty easily. Uh, there's no reason you shouldn't really win either one of those. Um, not really, like you said earlier, Mike, that it's not really, I wouldn't say it's a baseball powerhouse or anything by means, but they've been pretty average for the last part of, you know, however many years. But uh, they've got a good program this year, and they're on the rise right now. And uh, they're probably one of the hotter teams in the Big 12, if not the hottest at this point. So uh, they got they got a lot to lose, uh, if you want to look at it that way. So. Um, but I guess at the same time, Tech kind of does too. So, uh, but we've we've been in these positions before where we've kind of played up to the stage a little bit, and I think West Virginia's getting kind of probably not even into that yet. So I'm hoping we're able to lean on some veteran guys that have been in bigger stages in the past and kind of ride that into what we need to do for the postseason. Interestingly enough, this year the tournament venue is going to be in Arlington, which I think. It should help some of the crowd, especially with text playing. Yeah, that's something I completely forgot about them switching the location. Though I will say, to your point about Bricktown, it is a very cool venue. If you've never been out to the Bricktown Ballpark in Oklahoma City, it is a fantastic venue. Um, I grew up in Oklahoma for several years, and we visited the ballpark. It, it's awesome. But it's also in Oklahoma City, which is not close to Norman and not close to Stillwater. Um, so, you know, you're you're in big it, – it's – tough to get to for i think they play a lot of these tournament games like in the middle of the week or during the day it's just it's just not a great spot really for 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 uh all the other 
Big 12 teams to travel to. And then for Oklahoma and Oklahoma State fans, it's not like they're on campus. You still got to drive around. Now, granted, all those um, alums are right there, but... You know, it's Oklahoma City. It's it's a business district. It, it, it just if you haven't been, it's hard to explain. But it's just not a great spot for college sports to thrive outside of uh, of of uh, the the softball aspect of it because they're crazy about softball up there. They are just insane about it up there. Um, it also hasn't helped that like Oklahoma State and OU have both, you know, kind of not exactly thrived as baseball teams. Oklahoma State's had a lot more success, but it's. Oklahoma has really not until last year had a ton of success in the recent era. So there's a couple different reasons for why Bricktown never filled some buzz. So maybe having it at Globe Life will help. Now, granted, it still ain't going to be crazy packed. You know, I, I we, we've been playing tournament ball in Houston and Arlington for years now for these little early season tournaments, whatever. And the, the, the crowds are better, but you're not talking 30,000 people. It's just the Big 12 tournament's just not that hyped of an event. You kind of got to self-motivate. And I think a lot of this boils down to when you don't need it, it's really hard to give a shit about that tournament. This year, Tech, I think, will need it. I think you really want to play well and get yourself out of some of the tougher regionals. You definitely don't want to go on the road to say, you know, one of the better to one of the SEC schools on the road because their home field environments are brutal. You definitely don't want to go on the road out west of the Pac-12. I know geography plays a heavy hand and who goes where. So I don't know all the rules of that to say specifically like what schools you should be looking to avoid where. But like Reed said, you definitely want to go to some of these upstart group of five teams. Yeah, they might have a crazy crowd. But if like, for instance, last year, Georgia Southern was the weakest team in that regional outside of um, who, who even was the fourth team? Like, some some I some who gives a shit school, but Georgia Southern wasn't even close to the best team in that regional, and they hosted. Now they got screwed by the fact that both Tech and Notre Dame had argued had cases to be made for being better. Notre Dame had a case to host, and Tech definitely had a case to be in a better uh, a better seed, and would have ended up in another regional. I think as a result of that. So you know there there's a lot to be said about though ending up in a regional like that versus ending up in traveling to like Vanderbilt or Tennessee or. Stanford or whoever the hell ends up hosting, uh, so you will need it this year. You you just you will. Now I will say real quick, uh, we did I think just lost Reed. Hopefully that doesn't interfere with our episode. Um, I think he just got bounced out. We're gonna try to get him back, but if you don't hear from Reed for the rest of the episode, that's why. Uh, we're actually switching recording platforms very soon. I just need to work out how to use it. So hopefully we won't keep having these problems um, going forward. So we're going to close out, though, with a discussion just in general about the baseball program's potential. We're going to call our shots, I guess is a better way to say this, and just call it right now. As of today, May 2nd at 8.26 p.m. Central, where do we think Tech finishes the year? And, and, and first, are they going to make the postseason? And then two, where does secondly, where does their postseason journey end? So Joe, I'll let you take that first. Where does Tech's season end this year with what we know now? I'm looking at their schedule right now, um, Tech's baseball schedule. We have 10 left, um, according to the Tech website. Three against Sam Houston, one against Abilene Christian mixed in there, the three at West Virginia, and then hosting the three against Kansas. Out of those 10, I think we have to win eight. Uh, that's how we need to close out. That's We have four games to get right for West Virginia. Three very winnable games against Sam Houston 
and a very winnable game against Abilene Christian, all at home. So three of Sam Houston, one against Abilene Christian at home. So we have to get right. If if it's any time for us to, you know, drop the hammer down, get take looks at ourselves in the mirror and say, hey, this is, you know, this is for our postseason. Because, you know, it. I'm not saying that we won't make the postseason because I, I think we will. But, you know, this is the time where we need to write our ship, you know, go us go on a roll, us win some games, us make some noise in the Big 12, go win some games at West Virginia that, you know, a lot of people, as it sits right now, don't see us winning, but maybe one. And that's just as it sits right now, given how we play on the road. So we have to get it right right now. As as far as this season, like I said, I, I want to see us 8-2 and two to end the regular season. I, with the circumstances of the Big 12 tournament, I know that we haven't, we just haven't played well there. It's just, I don't know if it's a curse. I don't know if it's just, you know, you know, a jigaboo for Tadlock. I just, I don't know exactly the reasoning for it, but we need to win at least one or two there just to put ourselves in a better spot to not be in one of those regionals with a LSU or with a Florida or with a you know, maybe Stanford, you know, even though we competed with them and should have beat them both games over there. Um, you know, so the next few are super, super critical. I mean, this is, this is the time. If we're going to prove what we're worth, you know, this is the time. If, um, Matt Gardner is going to show himself what he's worth, you know, because I honestly think his, his, his leash is getting super short. He's been with us for 10 and it's been a consistent problem for at least six, you know, and that's it's hard, a tough pill to swallow. Um, lifetime contract may have some things to do with it, you know. That's you know another day, another topic, you know. But this is the time where we need to write it, um, just because, like I said, we go into one of those those regionals against an LSU and against a Florida, you know, we're going to be talking about what we're doing next year. You know, it's just not it's not favorable to us. So eight and two, our last ten. My bold predict prediction for how Tech's going to end the year. You know, I may be eating some crow later, but I'm going eight and two, two wins in the Big Twelve tournament in Arlington, and we'll be in a regional that is definitely winnable for the Red Raiders moving forward. I said something earlier that I want to point out again, just, just because I think it's the best way to think about this, and that's this idea of diminishing returns. We pay Tadlock top market value, and he's a fantastic baseball coach. But the reality of the situation is is that he has not earned yet um, the ability to just coast. Right, like that's something you know your five-time national title winners get to do. Guys like Argy Garrido at Texas, where they kind of just decide when they're done. Tadlock deserves what he's gotten, but we are at a point where for the third year, it looks like Tech could end up in a worse position. And I'm not saying you got to you, you get rid of Tadlock. Of course you don't. He's a fantastic coach, but you do have to make a change, and that is Matt Gardner. Right, like if that's the thing that's not working, because the other brands of the other forms of this baseball seem to be working, you're you're recruiting at a high level, you're bringing in top transfers, the offense is there every year. And then circle the guy on the staff who's the problem and make Tim Tadlock push him out if you can. If you're Kirby Hoka, that's a phone call you have if this season plays out in a bad way. But like you said, Matt Gardner can prove why he's still on the staff. Tim Tadlock can prove 
why he keeps this guy around if his team performs. It's on them now to put it to show. I think you can sweep Sam Houston and Kansas. I, I just I want to believe that you can do that. You haven't proved that you can win three in a row consistently, but I want to believe that you you know the stakes now and you get those three games for each of those series. From there, you've got West Virginia. That is a huge one circled, and it's your only road series left. It it doesn't feel good. It just doesn't. I think you win one. I think either Mason Molina or Trenton Marish, one of those two guys, is a great start, and you pick up one of those wins. You know, you're out of the cold of Morgantown now that we're in the middle of May when you're playing them, so hopefully the weather cooperates and you pick up one win, and you take your series loss. That sits you at seven. Plus, Abilene Christian, you should beat comfortably, put you at eight. Now, granted, you struggled mightily in Abilene against the Wildcats, so hopefully you don't do that again. But like you said, that gets you to eight. Now, Big 12 Tournament, I think you can win one pretty easily, maybe a second if your staff is really together. I think that's probably about it for you in that tournament. I think that's all you need. Then you get sent to a regional on the road to someone middle of the pack. You know, I don't... I, 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 I don't know the seeding well enough to, based on geography to give you an idea of who that might be at the moment, but you don't, like like we've talked about, you just don't want to be going to places like LSU, right? Like that is, if Tech can be sent there, they will be because you're geographically closer than other schools to, uh, to Baton Rouge, and you definitely don't want to go there because you will be going home if, that's, if you end up at a school of that caliber. Um, you just, you will be. You're not going to beat them in their place. Um, at least not in the format of a regional, which you got to win a whole bunch of games to get out of one. You just don't have the staff for it. I think Tech can clear a regional. I think you can if you get a friendly one. If you take care of business close to the year, I think you can get out of your regional. I do not see a scenario in which you go on the road twice and clear a super. I think your journey ends in the super regional, which would be a step forward from last year. Right, like, like I said, you want to avoid this three years in the row of worse results. But it, it, it's obviously true that this program expects Omaha trips. So I still think no matter what happens to code this year, if you fall short of Omaha, we are now at the point in our program where you start asking, it's been too damn long since we've been there. It, we haven't even really sniffed it um, in the last couple of years. Stanford blew you out in Lubbock in the, the siding game. Last year, obviously, your pitching was great, but the offense just wasn't there, and you fell in the regional. And, you know, if you go three straight years without touching Omaha, I think it's time to start asking some serious questions. You can't, you're not going to get rid of Tadlock. You shouldn't get rid of Tadlock. But he, as the responsible skipper he is, needs to start making decisions for the best of this program and not for his buddies. Because, like you said, you know, we've had pitching problems for about at least half, more than half of Matt Gardner's tenure. I mean, it's just been a problem from the injuries to the lack of depth to the, the lack of development. So we have to start asking serious questions when it's now significantly harming this team. You get to Omaha, right? I think if the staff holds together, then you proved, all right, he's going to get another year. Just You're not going to make changes after a successful season. So that's, I think, the barrier. But I, I just don't see a scenario in which you got to go on the road twice to both a regional and a super and get both of those wins. You get a friendly super, or maybe, but... I just don't think you're going to be a strong enough seed. The guy you end up facing, the Super, is going to be pretty damn good. Um, I just think that's where we are. I hope to be wrong. I hope to be right about how the season closed it out besides the West Virginia series, though. I think winning eight games to close this year out would be a great end. Take your lumps in Morgantown and move on. Pick up a couple in the Big 12 tournament and let the chips fall where they may. Now, um, we're just about closing. I'm checking to see if Tyler's announced his, his commitment yet. He has. Okay, so Tyler Perry will transfer to Kansas State. 
this is a weird one. We're going to close with this discussion because it's weird for a couple of reasons. Number one being Grant McCaslin is in Lubbock. And number two being, can we really say that we should have passed on this guy if we didn't pursue him? And if we did pursue him, how did we lose this recruiting battle? I mean, just how did we lose this recruiting battle if we were seriously chasing him? And if we weren't, I do wonder why we weren't. But, you know, I'm not going to question the headman too much. Like I said, he hasn't coached a game yet, so I'm not going to, like, jump all over him until I see what the product in the court's going to be. But I, I'm, I'm a bit weirded out by this. Joe, what are your thoughts about this decision? Uh, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, I'm, I'm looking at the Tipton edit right now with him in Kansas, in his Kansas State uniform. And it, it's like I said, I said it on my Wednesday show. I mean, I'm, I'm giving McCaslin a pass. I'm not as as much as it hurts me to say because there's that inner side of me that just wants to say, "Come on, man! Like, where's the coaching staff? But first and foremost, where's the where are the you know up until a certain point we were like, hey, where are the recruits at, or where are these people that are coming coming over, you know, to text or at least to take a visit, you know, like where 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 are these people at? You know, and just your hands up in the air, just hoping, you know, the next text alert you get is, oh, do you see who tech hired or, oh, you see who committed to tech? And yes, we've got a little bit of that um, over the last week or so. But, you know, losing this out, I kind of I kind of think it was was Perry just saying who's more on the up and up. You know, he's been playing basketball for a while. He he wants to take that next step. And if you're looking on paper right now, Kansas State to Texas Tech, no, given no ties with the McCaslin deal, I mean, who wouldn't take Kansas State over Texas Tech right now? I mean, I'm sure he wants to go into the NCAA tournament. There's not a 100% positivity or certainty that Tech's going to make a run as it sits, but you know, that's, this is like super, super premature to call. But in his eyes, I believe it was just moving forward the last year that he gets to play collegiate basketball. He wants to be on a team that has the potential or higher to make a run big 12 um, and the NCAA tournament. So it's kind of not surprising um, to me, to be completely honest. I know that the McCaslin connection, you know, was here, but like I said, it only goes so far whenever you're a, a athlete and you're looking at the bigger picture on what you're going to do you know do you want to be a great player on a you know sub 500 team or do you want to be a great player that's about to make a run at a national championship sweet 16 elite eight you know final four kind of deal and i think ultimately that's what it came down to i don't think it had anything to do about mccaslin being here or not i think if mccaslin was at another another school the same the same things happening as long as you know you know with all the shit storm that the tech basketball program has surrounded itself with currently, I think Perry is, you know, going to one of those top tier schools just to give himself a better opportunity to win a national championship. So I'm seeing some of the reaction to the, the, the Twitter stuff. And I, I think that there's two ways to think about this. First is that one, there is an argument to be made that like the current arrangement of tech guards with pop and Lamar Washington 
kind of doesn't leave a space for Perry. But I d absolutely don't fucking buy the argument he wouldn't have done well here. Like, I, I, I don't for a second buy that argument. because I if don't he, buy that argument either. Not one bit. I am with you there. Because here's the thing, like, oh, he's got short arms. He ran the fucking system last year, guys. Like, he, he succeeded in the system the last season. And yet, maybe the step up in competition would have hampered him. We, these transfers from lower division programs are always, always a risk. But he was good in the system. And in that system... By all accounts, they had to really slow it down and play defense in order for this to work out because Grant McCaslin was concerned about the caliber of athletes he had. So I, I just I I like to believe Tech just didn't really pursue for some reason. Um, whether it's an argument of the guards already on campus, whether it's an argument that the staff just evaluated him and didn't like what they saw moving to the next level. I, I don't know, but I what like staff. What yeah, staff that's, evaluated him. The guys who were there, the guys we've got are basically who coached him at UNT. So you'd like to think they know something we don't. But it, it raises questions to me. It raises concerns. And that's why on the well, I think that there is an argument to be made that um, you know something with our roster alignment right now scared them off. I think there is another way to look at this, which is just that, like you mentioned, Tech isn't a really bad spot. You don't really have a coaching staff. Uh, you you don't even really know yet all the way who's coming back doing what. Jalen Tyson's out the door. There's more negative stories about the team from last year. You got questions about the culture. Grant McCaslin's been radio silent outside of that appearance of the Rothstein podcast. It's just a really weird situation, and I, I I don't quite know how to process this. But I I like to think that this boiled down to tech did not secure his visit by the way he only visited a couple of places tech was in the top four was the only team in the top four he didn't visit um i like to think it's simply just put that tech just decided they didn't need him for x reason um it didn't really chase him but i i don't really like an argument to be made i don't think there is one to be made that we couldn't have benefited from his services you know i just i just don't think that we are in a position as a program right now where we can be like yeah highly productive guard with proven results we can pass and you know i look it's great that we're getting to react to this live more is going to come out as we go um I'm sure there will be additional information, articles written about why he picked Kansas State. Maybe some stuff will leak about why he didn't pick Tech. Um, I'm sure Tech will want to do a little bit of damage control on this front. But it's weird. It ain't ideal to have a guy you your head coach coached not come to your program. His top player not elect to come with him. That is a weird deal and not common in, in basketball. It just isn't. Yeah, and then to think that we missed on actually two North Texas transfers you think that both of them were probably on board to, to Texas Tech in some regard, and we missed on both of them. Yeah, and I, it, well, I just until we see, I know there's the the, the gentleman out of um, Arizona State who's visiting, who you know is a top ta talent that we're trying to pursue. We obviously locked in a couple of commitments. You got um, Robert Jennings, Lamar Washington, Pop Isaacs, all come, saying they're coming back. Um, well, actually, Lamar Washington's a bit in flux. He denied reports he's entering the tra transfer portal. I happen to know a bit about what happened in that situation. Let's just say I wouldn't be surprised if somebody made a call late in the day to try to convince him to stay and offered him a lot of money. So you still don't quite know yet where he falls, but you, you do have some guys coming back. KJ Allen's out. Um, Bacho's, I believe, going to be gone. 
I think he committed. I, I, I believe so. Um, it's a lot tech. He committed. Yep. Um, so that one's done. Um, Williams, I don't believe as a commitment, but I believe he'll be out the door. And, you know, I just, I, you're not in like the worst spot from roster building perspective, but there's just so little good momentum around the program where it really felt like when Mark Adams signed on, like suddenly everything exploded after Chris Beard left and you had all this forward momentum. Everybody was excited. It just feels like we're stuck in neutral. And I think that is partially on the coaching staff. They have not done a good job selling themselves to the public and they haven't done a good job in the recruiting world. I mean, that's just reality. We don't have a basketball team right now. Like we don't have one and we don't even have a coaching staff. So they need to pick it up and get moving. I'm not going to freak out until we get through year one and the results are bad, right? Like I'll panic when we're halfway through the first season and we've won 10 games out of 25, right? Like, like that's when I'll start to be like, oh shit, we're kind of in a bad spot. But, you know, it isn't great and this raises questions and, you know, I hope there are better answers than the ones that I can think of for why we passed on a guard like this or why we couldn't get him even on campus. Um, it's, it's just worrying. It is definitely time to be a little bit worried about your recruiting efforts, but I'm not going to, you know, don't press the eject button on the program until we see bad results. The, the product, yep. But we're going to close here. This show. Oh, go one, ahead. One more thing. I'm sorry. Um, the big number right now is nine. All right. Nine, nine from this point, May 2nd, 844 PM. Well, let's just say eight because, you know, it's, we're already about to roll into the third eight. That's eight more days of that transfer window open. So if anything's, you know, any kind of domino piece is about to fall, anything that's in the works, I think, you know, some of these transfers are trying to get, you know, visits. I know that we're only allotted X amount of visits anyway. So I think I think the one from Arizona State is a big one. And and as it sits right now, every transfer that has came to Tech has actually signed with Tech. So maybe we keep that, that ball rolling and that momentum rolling. But let's just say for what it is right now, eight days, we should have a whole lot more answers as far as our basketball program is concerned on the player front. Hopefully, and I got my fingers crossed here. And then, you know, we'll we'll go on from the rest. But eight days from right now, um, transfer window is going to be closing. So hopefully we have a whole lot more answers for you guys coming in the next week or two. That's for sure. Yeah, I, it, like we're going to put something out there, right? Like you're going to have a team on the court. You're going to know where things stand in the end. It's just I know everybody's anxious because the program's in such disarray. But, you know, it, it, patience is a virtue, and unfortunately in sports, that means, you know, especially it can suck for quite a while. Um, you know, that's, that's part of it. When you're not moving forward, it feels like you're moving backwards. And you, we just we have to trust that there is a recruiting plan. And like Joe said, you're going to find out some results very soon. And if you don't like the results, well, I, I understand where you're coming from, but let's just see what happens on the court before we make overarching judgment calls about this hire. But this is I, this feels eerily similar to Matt Wells coming to Tech right now, and I don't love that feeling. Uh, Matt Wells was not necessarily a bad hire at the time. For those of you who remember, he just wasn't one who really got anybody that excited. The recruiting never really got going. You know, he was respected, well regarded, but he just it just didn't do it for the program and he didn't make an effort to do it for the program. You know, I saw somebody asking, like, why does Grant McCaslin appear only on a national level podcast? Um, for one, by the way, tech sports information directors I'm not gonna say anything mean, but I am gonna say they are fiercely protective 
of the programs and control information. So that's why he's not going to appear on pretty much anybody's podcast, like local. You know, that's why you're not going to get any of that stuff going on. He's going to appear on radio shows or national level stuff. That's almost a guarantee he doesn't appear anywhere else. But there's things he could do to endear himself to Lovick. Like Joey McGuire was so out there. And Grant McCaslin's been radio silent. So it's, it's just not a great place. But, you know, we don't know the story here. I don't want to claim that we know the story here. I have questions about how this happened. It, it could be the simplest answer, sometimes the most correct answer, which is that he looked at the guards on the, st- on the current roster and said, I, I just don't like where I'd fall on the role-wise or playing time-wise. Let me go elsewhere. You know, that's, that's a reasonable explanation for why he wouldn't follow his head coach to the next school. But look, no time to, like the future to get some shit going. No time like the present to get some shit going. We're all tired of waiting. So hopefully we have, as this portal window closes, we get some really big wins and we really feel much better about this in about a week. So, you know, not fun for now, but we're hoping for the best. All right, guys, we're going to close up the show here. This ran longer than I thought because that commitment happened. I thought they might drag out his interview a bit longer. Uh, but thank you. I was here with Joe and Reed. Reed fell off for us due to a technical issue. Hopefully his audio comes through clean and we'll be able to salvage that. Um, we'll be with Jack and Kendall later this week. There'll be other shows, other episodes. Um, we're kind of nearing the dog days of the sporting season. We're really just baseball and softball. Basketball recruiting is about to kind of cool off a bit. So we'll have a different kind of take on some things. We'll come up with some new ideas for you guys. Let us know what you want us to talk about as well. Like, subscribe, follow, whatever you do on whatever major podcast service. DM us if you want to chat or leave a comment on the page or on Twitter, and we'll see it. Reckham, guys, have a great rest of your week.